right, good evening, young adults. How are you? Awesome, awesome. I hope you guys had a wonderful 4th of July. How many of you, by show of hands, set off something illegal yesterday? Yes, yeah. I hope that any of you who are police officers in this room, that you didn't like, you just, you, this is a safe space. And so you knew that, right? You knew that for us. Um, I love the 4th of July. It's one of my favorite holidays. Um, so much fun. It is just great to be with friends, great to be with family, eat food, watch fireworks. I love America. And so it just, it just works. It just fits, right? Um, we are in a new series, though, called The Streets, The Streets, and this series we got together as a team, and one of our favorite things to do, if you have been around long enough, is to put around, uh, on this thing called The Meetup. And prior to the meetup, we try to do a good job of encouraging you guys to take the faith that you have and to move it outside of these church walls, to take the faith that you have been given, to take the fire of Christ that's in your heart and to move it outside of this space. And Matthew 5 is where we based uh, this series off of. Matthew 5, verses 14, we're going to be reading through the message version. It says this, here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you up on a light stand, and now that I put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt um, people, others, to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. We are going public with this. That's what we're saying. And when we say this, church, the reason that we're so excited about this is because this is the heartbeat of Red Rocks Young Adults. If you are new and you haven't been around for a while, let me introduce you to what we're about and what we're for, okay? We have existed for a long time, Red Rocks Church has, to make heaven more crowded. If you didn't know that, that's what we're here for. We love seeing people come to God. We love seeing people come home to their heavenly father. And our goal is as a young adult community that we would be the lifeblood of that, of that vision, that we would be the heartbeat of that vision. And so the way we phrase our vision is that we would be people that build kingdom builders, that we would raise up a generation of people in this space that are so excited about God and that are so excited about the potential that he has in our lives that we would go out into the world and that we would bring God's kingdom wherever we set our feet. And so if you have been around YA for a while or you are new to YA, here's what you need to understand about this young adult community is that we are not some monument to God. That is not what we're here for. We are not a monument to God. That's not what we believe about this generation or about any generation. We believe that we are a movement for God to bring his word, his vibe, his kingdom to the people around us. And so this is something you are a part of, not something you sit through. This is something that we believe every single person gets to buy in on. And we take our message to the streets. And if you uh, live in Denver, which most of you do, some of you watching online do not right now, uh, but if you live in Denver right now, Denver has 700,000 people in the city of Denver. In the Denver metro area, so the metropolitan area, we have 2.8 million and it's growing, at least the last statistic I checked, by 10,000 people a month. The statistic, the statistic, that statistic might seem overwhelming to you. It might seem, it's kind of awesome for me, actually. I'm like, I, I'm like, Lord, I could go to your people or they could all just come to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
What's cool about this, though, is that according to a recent census, 36% of Denver metropolitan area, 36%, so over a third, get this, of the people in the Denver metropolitan area are age 18 to 24. 18 to 24. The median age of Denver itself is 30 years old. Translation, we live in a young adult city. And right now, this generation is, by all accounts and by any research that's out there, is the most post-Christian and the most unchurched generation of all time. We know that now. We know that we are the most unchurched. Most people in our generation have not heard about God, do not have a narrative from their family about God. And yet, it is the most, according to research, spiritually open generation of all time. Meaning this, that while they don't know about God, they are open to knowing about God. And when recently polled by Barna, 18 to 24-year-olds said this, they said that the number one thing that would influence them in their faith was not an awesome sermon, although we try. It would not be an amazing worship experience, although they're coming out with a new album this fall. It would not be, it would not be awesome lights or a church service or, you know, some type of kitschy way of presenting the gospel. But the number one reason that a person would consider faith according to a recent poll in their young adult years, would be the faith and influence of their peers. And so here's what this means for you, and here's what this means for me. We live in one of the youngest cities in the United States of America. Not only that, we live in a time and in a space and in a period where we're not always going to be a young adult, and yet we are considered a young adult now. And so we have the vitality and the ability to go and speak to our peers. And according to research, while they do not know God, they are open to God and the number one reason that they would be willing to hear about God is the influence of somebody like you and so that's why we do a series every year about taking what we have outside of these walls and so we are going to talk tonight and for the next three weeks about what it means to be a believer in this generation about what it means to be a believer at Red Rocks Church, about what it means to be a believer in the millennial and the Generation Z, because it is important that we, not the church, take our message to the streets. And what I want to talk about tonight is this idea of God's love. See, because if you don't know how deeply and profoundly you are loved by God, you are going to have a problem sharing God's love. The Bible says that we love because God first loved us. And so the love that we are going to share with the communities around us, the love that they are going to experience in and from us is going to come from our Father. See, we live, church, in a Christianity that is a receiving Christianity. And so if you are going to have anything that you express to others or that you express back to God, it actually comes from God. We know this because in scripture there's a man who has a son and he asks God, God heal my son and God says sure, sure gonna do it, awesome and then he says do you have faith that I will and he says yes God and then he says this but help me in my unbelief, do you know what that scripture is saying it's saying that God gives you even your faith sometimes that you give back to him and so God does not expect you to give love that you do not have he does not expect you to share love that you have not yet experienced yourself. And so what I think God wants to do tonight is he wants to show you how profoundly and deeply and intimately he is in love with 
you. And so the question is simply this, how does God love us? How does God love us? And I think it's answered in Romans 5, verse 8. It says this, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I titled tonight, if you are taking notes, Jesus came looking. Jesus came looking. Let's bow our heads and ask God to be here. God, I thank you for every single person in here. I thank you for the young adult community. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the fact that you are moving in and through us and that you are moving outside of these walls. I thank you that you know just the right time to bring the right series. And I thank you that it's now. And I'm so grateful for the meetup. God, I pray that every single person wouldn't walk out of here without an experiential change in their heart of what you can do in and through them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, so uh, how many of you are in here and you are, or online, and you are single? You are single? Don't be afraid. <laughs> okay, that's most of us. Amen. I'm not single, sorry. It's <laughs> most of you. Uh, awesome. Awesome. No other time in your life are people going to give you more unsolicited advice than when you are single, right? People love to tell you how to not get single, how to not be single. And, and it doesn't matter where it's coming from. It could be like the dude who's had 12 relationships. They are completely dysfunctional. And it doesn't matter. He'll be like, I got a word. I got some advice for you. And you're like, D bro, I assure you, you do not, right? <laughs> But it's like, it's like, whatever, we're just going for it. But you will never hear any more unsolicited advice. Maybe, and I mean, when you become parents, man, it's crazy. But before then, the only time this many people are giving you this much advice is when you are single, okay? And people give good advice. They do. Some of them do. But, man, a lot of people give really bad advice. Like, just profoundly bad advice. I remember when I was dating, people would give me advice that was just not good. It was pretty bad, actually. And, and it, so you maybe have heard some of these phrases. And so people would say stuff like this. They would be like, well, just you just need to play hard to get. And I'd be like, all right, because dating's a game, right, that we play. And so, um, so I'm going to do that, right? So a guy will be like, oh, you know, interested in me. And, and then I'll be like, oh, and I'll be, you know, I'm interested in him too. But I'm just like, oh, oh, thank you. Um, but I'm hard to get. <laughs> you know, like. And then he's like, what? Look, I am not a relationship guru. I am not saying I know everything about relationships, but I guarantee you that that dude is not like, there's no um, dating experience. There's no dating relationship that comes out of an interaction like that. I'm just letting you know, okay? And people are like, play hard to get. I'm like, bad advice, bad advice. People would, people would say stuff like this. They would say, um, well, don't let him know how much you care. Don't let him know how much you care. And so, like, dudes would be like, oh, you know, and I'd be, like, into them, too. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I love you, and you're beautiful. And, like, I'd be, like, into that, but I'd be like, oh, and I'd be like, oh, well, you're all right. <laughs> and, like, you know, because every healthy relationship that we know of is built on poor communication, right? So just not talking about everything that's sure to work, right? And so I'm like, you're all right. You're not ugly, you know? <laughs> Bad advice. That's bad advice. 
Well, then they'd say this. I've, I've heard people say this. Hopefully you haven't heard this because it's really bad advice. People would say, man, just keep your options open. You know what I mean? Just keep your options open. And what they're saying when they say that is they're saying, you know, like don't commit to anybody fully. Instead, just have a couple of people that you're kind of like, you know, kind of committed to. In other words, man, there's nothing like, you know, predicting future adultery, like practicing it in the here and now. Bad advice, right? I'll see meme accounts and like, man, they have like bad advice. It's like some sink, I guarantee you, those meme accounts with like relationship advice, guys, I guarantee you it is a really ugly dude or a really ugly chick that has never been in a relationship sitting there telling you how to do yours, guaranteed. And it'll be like, if you don't love me at my best, or if you don't love me at my worst, then you don't deserve me at my best. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, let's just break this one down for a little bit, okay? (laughs) Because the reason that you date is to discover if you can handle that person's worst. That's why you date. The reason you date is to investigate, man, can I love this person for better or for worse? And if that person is controlling or if they are manipulative or if they are just wrong for you in a variety of ways, if they don't love Christ, then guess what? You're not going to love them at their worst. So there is bad advice all the way around. But listen, there is good advice too. And newsflash, most of it comes from scripture. So... So there's good advice like this. There's good advice like if you want a healthy relationship, it is going to be selfless and it's going to be sacrificial. We learned that from Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, that a man pursues and a woman responds. We learned that from Hosea and Ephesians 5, that if you want the type of relationship that goes the distance, then it is going to be one that honors one another above themselves. We get that from Ephesians 5. If you want to understand what it's like to have a healthy relationship, you need to find good advice. I will give you some good advice. Tinder will burn your relationships to the ground. That's why it's called Tinder, right? It'll just burn them, burn them to soot, right? There's good advice to be had. There's good advice from counselors. There's good advice from psychologists. I think if a counselor was in this room tonight, one of the things that they would say to us that would be good advice is they would say, hey, they would say, don't love somebody And don't pour out the totality of yourself if they don't love you in return. This is like a boundaries thing. This is like a guard your heart thing. They would say, man, don't pour out the totality of your love for someone if they aren't going to love you back. And so what they're saying in this moment, ladies, is is maybe they're saying, you know, I know that you're into that guy, but listen, if he doesn't pursue you and he doesn't take interest in the things that you're interested in and he doesn't come after your heart, then it's okay Do not pour out the totality of your love to him and guard your heart. And fellas, if you're pursuing a woman with everything that you have, but she doesn't respond to your texts and she doesn't, she ignores you in public and the whole deal and you're just like, I don't understand what's happening. What that means is that you don't have to pour out the totality of your love to this girl. You can actually hold on to that until someone will love you in return. See, we would say things like this and it would be good advice for human relationships. We would say, don't waste your love on somebody that doesn't love you back. Don't pour out the totality of your love on somebody that doesn't love you back because you will get your heart broken. You'll get your heart stomped on. It won't work out well for you. Nothing is going to turn out the way that you think if you pour out everything that you have before they even give you a second look. 
And yet, we serve a God, we serve a king, we serve a Jesus. And when he came to us and when he came down to earth and when he became a baby, his decision was to pour out the totality of who he was. His decision was to give us everything he had. His decision was to become man and give us the fullness of his love therein. And he wasn't expecting anything in return. And the reason I know this is because I know what the Bible says about his love. It says this in Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love the Passion Translation. It puts it this way. It says, and this hope is not disappointing, a disappointing fantasy because we now can experience God's endless love cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and he died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak and powerless to save themselves. Now, who would dare to die for sa the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone is willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is much more to say about his unfailing love for us. This is what the Bible is describing. It is describing a relationship, and it is with two people. And in one side, we have a God who is so fiercely devoted and who is so obsessive in his love for his people that he decides that he is going to pour out the totality of his love and devotion and affection. He is going to come in full towards this other person who is, when we meet them, the Bible says, still yet in sin. The Bible says this about you and me, pray Christ, that we were actually enemies of God, that we were hostile towards God, that we were sons of disobedience, that we were actually, according to Romans 3, it says that there was none who understands, there is none who seek God. Do you know what this means? This means that God came looking for us when we were not looking for him. That God came to seek us when we were not seeking him that he came to give the totality of himself before we even bat an eye his way. And I think when I read about this, I think, oh my gosh, like Jesus, like part of me feels like this is such a, like this is just almost so reckless. This is so reckless in the way that you're pursuing us. This is so just, it almost seems like borderline obsessive when I think about how, how much God gave up to be with people that he didn't even know would choose him. I don't know if you guys have ever had friends that are just like, they fall in love and then like they fall in love so hard they make really poor decisions afterwards. You know what I mean? We all have that friend. <laughs> we all do. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you know that friend. Like, they're sitting next to you, so you're like, it's cool. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And they fall in love and it's like a weekend. And they met him at YA and they're like, and it's a weekend and he's like, bro, 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 this girl. Oh, dude, I like dream, I dream about her, and I, <laughs> I know, I have a picture of a person in my, it's fine, ah, <laughs> and they're like, I dream about her, and I've been praying, I've been praying about this girl, and I like love her so much, and, and I've already, I already just feel this profound, amount. and you're like, oh, dude, no, and they're like, so dude, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking, I've been writing her letters, and you're like, bro, no. And he's like, yeah, yeah, been, and I'm going to put him on a car and stuff. And it's going to be fine. And you're like, no, dude, no. And, and, you know, but then it goes on, and he, like, gives the letters, and you're like, how'd it go? And you're like, well, she didn't respond, but look. Um, 
I'm thinking maybe the written word isn't the way to go, so I wrote her, you know, I'm gonna do it through song, so I wrote her a song, and you're like, how did you learn to play, I didn't, you don't play guitar, and, and he's like, I YouTubed it, and uh, don't worry about Jess, and uh, so I wrote her this song, and you're like, bro, like, you just need to, you just need to slow down, you know what I'm saying, like, don't, don't, don't do it just yet, don't go for it just yet, and he's like, I also had this idea, I got, um, I've been working on my calligraphy, and uh, her, t her name on my arm is tattooed. And you're like, dude, no, like just, whoa. And, and you're like, and he's like, don't worry about it. I'm taking her on our first date. It's Imagine Dragons next week. I brought her, I bought her a ring. And you're like, oh, like, but I just like, don't know. You know, and part of you, if this is your friend, like you just want to save them. And you're just like, oh, please, please, please. Just like, just like, don't, like, don't do this, man. Like, don't waste your love on someone that like literally hasn't, he doesn't even know your last name. She doesn't even know your last name. Like, don't do it, right? Like, why would you, like, you're throwing yourself at this girl, and, and, dude, where's your dignity? I mean, you want to say this. And yet, when I think about Jesus, and I think about the way that he came to us, it's a little bit undignified. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who knew no sin, he left his throne to become a baby, and all of this for people that he didn't know whether or not they would say yes to him. And I think, my goodness, Lord, like this is just a little bit too much for me. And yet we serve a God that serves and comes after us and seeks us when we were not yet seeking him. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from John 21. John 21, and it says this. John 21, this is Jesus seeking one of his own and taking him as his own. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of, Gal of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, because they're always there. The two others of the disciples were together. I love that. It would suck to be the two others that like never get their names put in. <laughs> Simon Peter, it's probably, probably Bartholomew, you know what I mean? Um, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going to go too. And so they went out into a boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, so picture this. The day is breaking. Jerusalem is waking up. The boys have been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. They see a man in the distance, and because it's so kind of like dimly lit outside, they can't tell who it is. And then Jesus says this, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net then on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They're like, thanks, Peter. <laughs> for they were not far off from land, but they were about 100 yards off. And so we read this verse, and it sets the scene with Jesus seeking his disciples on the beach. More specifically, he is seeking Peter on the beach. He wants to interact with Peter on the beach. And we know Jesus' intention. We know Jesus' love. We know Jesus' focus on Peter in this moment. We know how devoted he is. We know like his intention. We can see it in his posture. And yet, while we read about this relationship, Peter has kind of a curious, at best, relationship with Jesus in this moment. Because it was just a week and a half prior that he saw Jesus be crucified on a hill. 
And he looked from afar and all of his friends at this point, Jesus' friends scattered the moment that he was in, in prison. And Peter stands from afar and he's around a fire with a little girl and the little girl says, isn't that the disciple that you used to follow? Isn't, aren't you a disciple of that man? And he says, oh no ma'am. And he doesn't say, I don't love him. That's not what he says. He says, I don't know that dude. I don't, I don't know him. I don't even know who you're talking about. And then three days after Jesus is crucified and put in a tomb, the Bible says that the stone is rolled away and that his body is no longer there and the grave clothes are inside. And some women, some followers of Jesus go to the tomb. They find that he's not there. They freak out. They go and find the disciples and they find Peter and John. And the Bible says that Peter and John come running to the scene. They look in the tomb. They see that he's not there. And they remember in that moment, according to John, that Jesus said, on the third day, I will rise again. Now, what's fascinating about this is in this moment, they know one of two things. They either think this, either somebody, some crazy person took Jesus' body, for real, or he is who he said he was, and he is the king of kings. He's the Messiah. He's, the, he's everything that he said he was going to be for us. He's one of these two things. And the Bible says something curious about Peter's reaction in this moment. It says, puzzled, Peter went home. And I'm like, okay, like if I'm Peter and God said, I'm going to build the church and then he dies, but then he resurrects, like he said, and the tomb is, there's nothing in it. I'm doing two things. I'm like, boys, gather in. Okay, we need to find Jesus's body for real. And we are going to search for Jesus's body. Somebody either took it or he really did raise from the dead. And so they go out on a mission, right? And it, if that didn't work, if they can't find the body, then I'm like, okay, then he's for real risen and I need to go find him. I need, he's risen from the dead. So I'm going to go looking. So he's all throughout the streets of Jerusalem. And he's like, hey, have you seen this Jesus? He rose from the dead. Have you seen this Jesus? He hey, have you seen, I, he was the dude, but like, I know, don't be scared. He's got like little things right here. Don't be worried about it. I just need to find him. <laughs> and we get none of that from this scripture. It says puzzled. Peter went home. He didn't even stay at the tomb. Mary Magdalene stayed at the tomb. And she had one of the first encounters with the risen Christ one of the most emotional encounters in all of scripture she freaks out about it she goes and finds the boys again I love this like she's always like telling them like hey you missed the big show <laughs> he showed up she goes and tells Peter and John and they're like oh my gosh and you would think at this moment Peter would be like oh whoa I mean, I've known Mary for a long time we were kids together and I know she's not a liar and she like why would she say something like this Jesus is alive He's alive. And I'm thinking at this moment, you know, he's going out, he's in the streets, he's, he's looking for the risen Savior. And he does the exact opposite of that, and he actually locks himself in a room with a bunch of his homies, and they have a prayer meeting. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus rolls into his prayer meeting through the locked doors, and he's like, oh, hey, did you, like, hey, fellas, did you, you like, did you get those locks from Judas or the ADT from Judas? Because, like... <laughs> You got ripped off, guys. Just kidding. He's like, he's like, I walk through the walls, guys. Like, what do you want? You know, like, it's fine. Locks work, you know. And he has this moment where he interacts one-on-one -on -one with all of the disciples. The risen Lord seeking his disciples when they were hiding in a room. The risen Lord seeking Peter at the tomb where he decided not to show up. The risen Lord talking to these disciples one-on-one -on -one saying, Thomas, touch my scars. 
And they, he has this experience, Peter has this experience, and yet the Bible says that after this experience, I would think it would change his life, he would start preaching, he would start telling people what had happened, and what he actually does, according to scripture, is he goes fishing. He goes fishing. He doesn't look for Jesus. He doesn't talk about Jesus. He's not, there's not even any impression that maybe he wants to be around Jesus. He goes to the place where he feels best about his failures, and he feels like he can actually maybe do something with his life. He returns to old patterns, to old behaviors. He goes fishing. And the Bible says that Jesus came looking for him there. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ that while Peter was still yet fishing, that Jesus came looking for him. Which leads us to a couple of ideas about the love of God tonight, church. And the first thing is this, is that God always looks for you first. God always looks for you first. Peter didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for Peter. And you know, I was watching uh, the movie Hitch. I was watching it again from a few years ago. And I don't know if you watch it, Will Smith, he's like the best actor in the world. And he has this interaction where he's coaching a dude on how to date. And he's like, bud, here's, here's what it is. You have to come 90, she comes 10. In the relationship, you come 90, she comes 10. When kissing her, you come 90, she comes 10. And it's so awesome, you know, and like Paul Blart, mall cop, he's like, okay, you know, <laughs> so great. But for real, in our relationship with Jesus, he comes 100. He comes all the way. According to scripture, he pours out the entirety of his love. He pours out the entirety of himself. He actually gives his life away before we even look up at him. That's what it says according to scripture. And this is nuts, church, because we live in a world that has quantifiable love, that only wants love if it's equal, that only wants love if it's give and take, and the amount that you give is the amount that you take, right? It's mutually beneficial. This is the kind of love that we know. And some of you walked in here tonight and you have not felt the love of God in a very long time. And you come in to worship and you're like raising your hands and you're like, I love you, God. I'm chasing after you, God. I want to know you, God. And what you need to understand is that the gospel is not about you chasing after God. The gospel is about God chasing after you. That the gospel is not about you going after God or you loving God. That actually Christianity is not about you loving God at all. Christianity is about God loving you. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can receive that. What Jesus wants you to know is that he's obsessed with you. He's absolutely so much so that he left a throne in an undignified fashion to come and seek and find you. The Bible says that he has written us a love letter in the Bible. This entire thing is about him trying to save, seek, and save what he has lost. According to the Bible, he writes our names on his hand. He tattoos our names on his hand. And he comes all of the way when it comes to finding you and me. He is obsessed and he won't settle for anything less. Jesus came looking for you when you were looking for anything but him. And some of you today, listen, you don't need to conjure up more love for, for God. You don't need to try to find something in yourself that loves him more. You need to receive the love that God has for you. And we live in a world where this is so different because everything is mutually beneficial. And yet God says, look, I come for you 
and then you get to decide if you are going to respond to me. And this is a kind of love, church, that the world longs for and that the world needs. And so God came looking for us first. The second thing about God's love is that God came looking for you in your territory. God came looking for you in your territory. And I love this story because when Jesus finds Peter, he finds Peter in his safe space. Peter has retreated to a place where he feels most comfortable. He has retreated to a place where he feels most at ease. And so he goes there. He goes to fish. I remember years ago talking with a friend, and I was like, why do you do hair? Do you love doing hair? Like, is it your favorite thing in the world? Do you like creating and, like, thinking about colors and things like that and coming up with different haircuts? And she goes, no. She goes, I do it because I know it. I do it because, like, it's what I know to do. And this is Peter in this moment. He is shame-ridden. He is failure-ridden. And so he goes to do something that he knows. And he goes back to a beach to go, uh, to go fishing. And according to scripture, Jesus shows up there. And then he speaks to him in a language that Peter would understand. And he says, hey, he said, um, kids, do you guys catch any fish? And they say, no. And so he says, why don't you toss your net then on the other side? And the moment he says this, all of them are like, Oh my goodness, because this was how Jesus called them the very first time he called them. They're all out fishing. They hadn't caught anything. And he looks out at the boat and he says, hey, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And he says, why don't you try the other side? And they're like, yeah, sure, dude. Rabbi man on the beach. (laughs) And they do it. And they pull in so many fish. The second time, according to scripture, 153 fish, which is just like, not possible. And he says, go ahead. Hey, kids, did you catch anything? No. Who's this loser on the beach? Go ahead and throw that net on the other side. And immediately they all know. And Peter's like so stoked, he like hucks himself overboard, you know, because he's the emotional one. (laughs) And he swims to shore. But listen, God meets Peter in his safe space. God meets Peter in his territory. According to the message, I love what the message says about John 1. The Bible says that the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. And that's talking about Jesus. And then it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the message version, it says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Listen, if we are going to love the way that Jesus loves, that means getting outside our walls and into zip codes that make us uncomfortable. It means getting outside of our walls and making sure that we interact with people where they feel safe. It means going to the bars. It means actually going to the coffee shops. It means going to the places where people are and saying, hey, you look like you haven't felt a friend in a while. Can I tell you about a friend that I have and a love that I know? God loved us first, and because of that, we are able to love because God loved us first. We love because God loved us first. In the Bible, uh, it says in John 21, sorry, we'll just continue reading. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and the fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew they were, he was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them so that they, and, and so with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed himself to the disciples after he raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, I love this part, um, 
before this part, Jesus has breakfast with Simon Peter. And I love this part because the Bible says that he laid out breakfast and that he laid out fish for breakfast and bread. And then he says, bring your fish. And I just think it's funny because Jesus already has fish. And I think the reason that God wants us to understand this moment in scripture is like, he loves what you bring. He loves your offering. He thinks it's awesome, um, but he doesn't need it. He's already set the table with everything you need and with all the provisions that you could ever want or ever hope for. He says, I've got all the fish that you need but go ahead and bring your fish. That's awesome. I actually helped you catch them, so whatever. But yeah, bring them. And I don't know if you've shared a meal with someone recently, but your guard falls when you have a meal with someone. And Peter is in a place right now where he needs to interact with his friend in the way that he hasn't in a long time. He feels shame. He feels regret. He feels remorse. He feels failure. And he begins having breakfast with Jesus. And I imagine the conversations and I imagine like Peter kind of loosening up and being like, oh, like Jesus is actually like cool with me. And, and he's, he's not angry. He's actually weirdly not angry. I don't understand why he's not angry. And you can feel like maybe his shame starting to shake off. And then for a moment, just for a glimmer, he thinks, gosh, maybe, maybe Jesus loves me the way that he has always loved me. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, let's, um, can we have a chat? I want to talk to you about love. Peter's like, sweet, I was kind of thinking about that, okay. Says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it a third time. And he says, do you know that, um, do you love me? Or he said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. And in this interaction with Jesus, what you need to understand is that Jesus is asking, Peter, do you love me? Because if Peter is saying, yeah, I love you, it is because he has already felt loved. See, we think about this scripture and we think, oh, it's about Peter like loving Jesus and it's about us loving Jesus. But what you need to understand is this is not the first time, this is not the second time, this is now the third time that Jesus has gone looking and that Jesus had tried to show his affection to Peter. And he would have done it. He's like, Peter, man, I'm going to just keep showing up in your life until you get it. I'm just going to keep showing up in your world until you get it. I don't know what it was like for you when you got saved. But for me, God pursued me. I was 13 years old the first time someone took me to a church. It was a Lutheran church. It was weird. And I remember like sitting under the hymnals and being like, I knew that it was right. I knew that it was real. But I didn't, I didn't receive him then. Fast forward a couple years later, and I got invited to a camp where I meet this counselor named Sarah, and she kind of walks alongside me during high school. And I do not receive Christ during this period. I don't receive him at the camp. But a few years later, she would take me up to a church service on a mountaintop, and I would hear about the Pearl of Great Price. I remember crying like these like hot supernatural tears for like two days because I was so, like this mad revelation of how much God cared for me. At the end of it, the dude was like, and then in heaven you get to dance with the Lord. And I was like, I knew. I was like, I do get to dance with him. Unbelievable. And I didn't receive God that time either. 
It would be a year later where I would get invited to another camp where I would drive across the state, the United States, and at the end of a week, after presenting the gospel for the full week, they said, stand up. And on that day, I did. Jesus came looking for me. Jesus came into my spaces. He came into my world. He came into my location, and he wanted me first. And it was like, I love you, Jess. I love you, Jess. I love you, Jess. I love you, Jess. And so then finally, when he's like, hey, do you love me? I had felt so much love from the Father in my heart. I was like, I love you so much. It's crazy. And so he looks at Peter, Peter whose shame has just been falling off over breakfast. Peter who has had all of these issues and these failures that have been brought to the light. And he's like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, I do. And you can just kind of feel Peter forgiving himself. Jesus already forgave Peter. Now Peter's forgiving himself. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, yes, God, I'm so sorry. And yes, I do. Feed my lamps. Peter, do you love me? Yes with everything and feed my sheep and in this moment Peter is restored heart and soul and it was because of God's love for Peter and I think tonight there's a whole bunch of us in the room maybe there's some of you sitting here and you don't know this kind of love you don't know this kind of God that comes after you that seeks you that actually doesn't need your performance that actually isn't looking for your for your performance and the Bible says this about our relationship with God it says that sometimes he gives us faith so that we can actually show him faith and according to the Bible according to first John it says we love because God first loved us we love because God first loved us we love because because God first loved us. And so what you need to understand tonight is that some of you just need to sit in your chair for the next year of your life and not perform for God and not try to, you know, outdo God and not try to be the awesome Christian that you always thought you should be, but you just need to receive the fact that he loves you fully and completely and he came for you 100% of the way, not even knowing if you would want him in return. And then if you are in here and you're like, man, God, I feel so loved by you. I feel so overwhelmed by you. And he's like, awesome. Do you love me as well? And you're like, yeah, I do. He's like, then go and feed my sheep. And what he's saying in that moment is he's saying, go to my people, to a lost and dying world who doesn't know how I feel about them, doesn't know how I care about them. And you need to go and you need to tell them that, listen, they don't need to come to me. I will come to them. They just need to receive me that I loved them first, that I gave myself up for them first, and I do it again. And so if everybody in here could stand, we're gonna do something a little bit different tonight. And we've got a pew up front, and it is to represent um, the seats that we hope people fill at the meetup. But not just that, the seats that we hope people fill in heaven. And you and I both have people that don't know Christ. We have people that don't know the Lord. And all God is asking for us is just to receive his love and then to offer it to other people. That's it. And so right now, as I'm talking, you're thinking of friends that don't know Christ. You're thinking of friends who are far from God. Maybe they're coworkers. Maybe they're, um, gosh, maybe they're like neighbors. Maybe they're friends that you've had since childhood. And they have lived a difficult life, or maybe they've lived a charmed life. It doesn't matter, but they don't know this God, and they don't know this love. And what we're hoping you'll do tonight is that you'll come down and you'll write their names just on this seat and you do it as an act of faith. And what you're committing to when you do that is two things. Number one, you're committing to pray for them. 
You're committing to actually pray for this person that they're going to meet God. And the second thing is this, is that you would invite them. And if not invite them, well, we hope you invite them to the meetup. But if not invite them, then man, just go for it. Just be like, oh, hey, um, I would love to talk to you about God. How do you feel about that? According to research, which is never wrong, <laughs> the most unchurched generation of all time is most open to spirituality, looking for a peer to share with them. And so we're going to play a song, and you're welcome to come down front. Um, we've got pens on both sides, but before we do that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I've been talking about love, and I've been talking about shame. And maybe you're in here tonight and you see a girl up on stage and you hear the music and maybe a friend drug you here or maybe you just showed up because you're new to town and you have never known a love like this. Or maybe you grew up in church and you thought that Christianity was actually you performing for God, that it was actually you working your way into heaven and that it's not necessarily what I was talking about tonight, that it's a God that comes after you, that it's a God that pursues you, that it's a God that chooses you first and then gives you the opportunity to choose him back. And maybe you're in here tonight and you're thinking, man, I have never actually done that. And your heart is starting to beat. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you say, you know what? I would like to receive God. I would actually like to receive the love. That's all he's asking. He's not asking you to do anything besides just accept it. <laughs> That's what it means to be saved. You know that. It's just to accept his salvation, not to do anything more, not to do anything less, just receive what he did for you. And so if you're in here tonight and you would like to receive Jesus for the very first time, would you just raise your hand nice and high and we'll pray for you. Raise it nice and high. Amen. 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 God, we thank you so much. God, we praise you, God, that you are at work in this place. God, we thank you for every single person that raised your hand. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon their chest, that they would know that they are holy and dearly loved. God, that they would know that um, the Bible says that if we are unashamed of you this side of heaven, you will be unashamed of us that side of heaven. And God, that we get heaven forever, but we get your Holy Spirit in the here and now. God, I pray that you would be with us tonight, that we would be um, a part of your kingdom, that we would be a part of moving your kingdom forward. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.